Has the future ever felt more unknown, more uncertain? As we think about the coronavirus, we're wondering, is there going to be a cure? Or is this thing here to stay? Is there going to be a second wave of infections? Or have we kind of turned the corner? As we think about the economy, we're wondering which businesses will make it, which businesses will go under. As we think about the stock market, will it be a V-shaped recovery, a W-shaped recovery, a U-shaped recovery, or an L-shaped recovery, or any other letter from the alphabet to describe the disconnect from Wall Street and Main Street that we are currently seeing. As we think about five months down the road into the November elections, uh, what is going to happen to our country when we elect our future politicians? And what about the church? What is the future of the church going to look like amidst the coronavirus event and even beyond it? So much of the future is unknown and, um, and uncertain. And I think if we were to uh, choose a, a palette of colors to describe the future, um, our preferred colors that would bring most clarity, that we would mo- be most desirable for most of us, would be to see the future in terms of black and white. Uh, the colors of black and white are not just the colors of our current social unrest. They are also the colors of our preferred future. See, we would love to be able to uh, think about the future in very black and white terms. So it would make things clear to us about what direction we should go. There would be no doubt. We'd had no uh, fear of regret for choosing the wrong way. And we could move forward with a sense of uh, resolve uh, into our future if we could just have a sense that uh, we knew exactly what to do. But unfortunately, uh, we don't live in that world right now. Uh, We live in a world that's swirling in chaos, that is um, a palette of colors, of an array of choices that are uh, overwhelming to us. We have so many people in our lives that are telling us, do this and then do that. And then we have other people saying, no, don't do this and don't do that. Do something else. And it's so easy for so many of us to just feel like we're paralyzed uh, in this current situation. So much of the future is unknown and uncertain. And I think it's very important for us to recognize that in this kind of environment, we're going to end up making bad choices. We're going to end up making wrong choices related to the future. We're going to make bad and wrong choices in terms of um, our health. We're going to make bad and wrong choices in terms of our work situation or our social distancing or... um, you know, maybe related to um, where we go on a summer vacation or don't go on a summer vacation. There's a number of decisions that every single one of us is going to make wrong related to the future. But there's one area of our lives that we cannot afford to get wrong related to the unknown and uncertain future. And that is seeking the Lord's will out amidst the future. And, uh, We're going to look at a passage today from the Apostle James. If you have your Bibles with you, um, I want to encourage you to turn to James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. We're going to look at what the Apostle James said about the future, how God spoke through James, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to uh, the Christians that he was writing to, as well as to us here in the 21st century. And so let's go ahead and look at our passage today about the future and prioritizing God's will. In verse 13 through 17, the Apostle James says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for just a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Uh, I love this passage. The Apostle James was writing to what he called the 12 tribes of the diaspora in chapter 1. These were primarily Jewish Christians that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and they were facing many challenges. Uh, They were going through many trials of suffering, uh, persecution for their faith, even satanic attack. They were going through um, temptations to sin. They had uh, a wrong view of uh, their salvation and their sanctification. Many of them felt that they could uh, be hearers of the word without being doers of the word. They felt that um, they could have faith without works. And they were struggling with areas of purity in their own personal lives. They were slandering one another. They were cursing one another. They were grumbling against one another. And uh, their churches were filled with, with disunity, with uh, discord, and there was a disconnect between the rich and the poor. And so it is in that context that the Apostle James uh, wants to focus them, and really us, on these central themes in his epistle, and two of which are, he says in James chapter 4, that we are to humble ourselves before God. And in James chapter 1, he says that we are to live lives that are spiritually unstained by the beliefs and behaviors of the world. We are to live lives that are spiritually separated from the beliefs and behaviors of the world. And really, it is those two themes that pick up on this passage in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, when James is talking about seeking the will of the Lord out first, and then making plans and doing your life in a way that's different than the world. And so what I want to do is I want to... um, look at these five verses and make some comments on it as we uh, focus on living our lives in the future, seeking the Lord's will out and staying away from uh, seeing our lives as independent of the Lord's will in the present and placing too much confidence in ourselves and how we can shape or create or guide the future. And so let's take a look at our verses in James chapter 4, verse 13. Um, James talks about how human independence is good until it's not when it comes to spiritual things. James talks about in uh, verse 13, a group of merchants, business people. Most of them were probably unbelievers. Some of them might have been believers. And in verse 13, it says that they had made all these independent plans apart from seeking the will of the Lord out. They said um, when they're going to go to a place today or tomorrow. They said where they were going to go. Uh, We're going to go to such and such a town. They said how long they're going to go there for, um, a year or so. And they said what they're going to do. They're going to trade and make a profit, all in verse 13, without seeking the Lord out. And uh, I think that there's something, if we're honest, especially as Americans, that's very appealing about this. There's a confidence to these merchants' voice. There's an independence. There's a sense that they're uh, almost self-made business people and uh, almost this maverick spirit to them. And I think that really appeals to us in America in terms of this independent spirit that we have, uh, which has really been part of the most prosperous country um, in the world right now. But um, while that might be good at a certain practical level, when it comes to spiritual things, it's actually not a good thing. Uh, When you look at Israel, uh, so much of their journey in the Old Testament would be described as um, they were independent spiritually. They were um, self-made spiritually, depending on their own works. They were 
um, kind of had this maverick spirit. And uh, when it comes to spiritual things, when we copy that and feel like, you know, I can just do my own thing. I can be independent apart from seeking God's will out. Um, I can, uh, you know, God will bless me if I just work hard. And I have this maverick spirit. When, when we get to that place, uh, America might commend us in terms of our attitude towards God, in terms of independence. Uh, many people in America might, but um, the Bible would actually call that stubborn, stiff-necked, and unteachable. And so this is who these merchants were. They were seeking out the future outside of God's will, and they're placing their confidence in their own ability to create that future and to guide that future. And in verse 14, James gives us uh, really two reasons why we don't want to live independent of the Lord's will. He says in verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And secondly, your life is like a mist. It's like a vapor that appears just for a moment and then vanishes. And so let's take a look at these two points in verse 14. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Um, I, I think so many of us, we place uh, great confidence in tomorrow. We, we look at it and say, you know, I don't think I'm going to get sick from the coronavirus. I think the economy is going to rebound. I think we're just around the corner from finding uh, a vaccine for the coronavirus. And we, we like to look at tomorrow with great confidence. But when you look in the Bible, tomorrow is actually talked about in uh, unknown terms, in uh, terms of anxiety, in terms of endings. Listen to this. Um, Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day may bring. Solomon talks about the unknown in tomorrow. Uh, Jesus talks about tomorrow's filled with anxiety. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. The Apostle Paul talked about tomorrow is full of endings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, he said, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul was quoting another source there at the end of that verse. And um, what Solomon and Jesus and Paul remind us about tomorrow biblically is that tomorrow is filled with unknowns, anxiety, and endings. Um, I've been reminded during the coronavirus event that that's true. I got, I got a letter from my uh, doctor, and he said, hey, it's that time of your life. You need to um, come in for a colonoscopy. And um, that's really going into the unknown. Uh, but, and it's a little bit of a source of anxiety for me, that, but um, I know it's very necessary, and I'm going to do it. And uh, it's just a precaution but um, I also think about during this time, during the coronavirus event, uh, about my kids. You know, this, there's this life and death situation going on out there. And, um, you know, I used to have anxiety for my children when they were younger because, you know, first-time parent, I just didn't want to drop my kids, you know, when you're holding them as babies. And, uh, you know, you kind of get the feel of what it is to parent, um, mostly through experience. You can't really learn it from a book or from what other people say. And, uh, but I would have anxiety as a, a father of three children. Darcy is now 12, Keen is 10, and Ethan is 7. And Lorraine and I, I think we would feel the same way. We love our kids, we parent them, but, um, you know, we're anxious at times. You know, are, are we doing this right? Are we um, parenting right? Are we taking care of our kids? Are we raising them in the ways of the Lord? 
And uh, I think every parent has that anxiety to some level or another, especially when their kids are younger. But uh, what I've learned is as my kids have gotten older, um, I thought that my anxiety for my kids might go away when I was a younger parent. But what I've realized is that actually uh, as your kids get older, your anxiety can actually grow in certain areas because you realize that you don't have as much control over them. And there's going to come a time as they gain more independence that they're going to leave your house and you realize how uh, broken and wicked the world is. And you, you kind of want to protect them from that, but you also know that you got to release them into that. And so there's this sense of anxiety that I've been reminded of as my kids get older, as I've been thinking about this coronavirus event, since we all seem to have a lot of time to think. And tomorrow is a time of endings. I just had a conversation with a, a good friend of mine uh, last week. And he called me up and he goes, you know, what do you think about what's going on um, in society right now? And I gave him my thoughts and he said, you know, I think that the Lord's coming back soon. I think Jesus is going to return. He could easily return in the next three, five years or so. And for him, as he thinks about tomorrow, he thinks about how things can just kind of come to an end. And, and wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Jesus returns soon and makes everything right. Um, but tomorrow is a time of endings. It's a time of the unknown. It's a time of anxiety. It's not necessarily a time of great confidence in the normal sense, um, unless you're a follower of Christ and you're looking way into the future of eternity. And secondly, the Apostle James says this about why we should not live independent of the Lord's will. In verse 14, not only do we not know what tomorrow will bring, but our lives are like the mist. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And we never know when that time will come. Job and David said it like this. Job said in Job chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. David says this in Psalm 103, verse 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. And I've just been reminded um, just the past three months during the coronavirus um, of, of, of how true this is, that our lives are like a mist. They're just here, and they, they just vanish. And so many of us will just be forgotten by society. Um, you know, who is even going to remember our names, you know, 50 years, 100, 150 years from now, if the Lord um, doesn't come back before them? And uh, since the coronavirus started over the past three, uh, four or five months, um, four people that I know have died just within the last few months. Um, one person died. And he had lived a long, good life. He died in his, uh, in his 80s. And godly man, raised a godly family, um, served the Lord faithfully in the church. And he lived a good, full life, really lived three lifetimes in that time. And um, I went to go see him before he passed away. He, he was kind of a long, slow decline on hospice. But uh, I think if you were to ask him, even though he lived into his 80s, how do you feel it went by fast? Do you feel like your life, I, you know, where did the time go? I think he would absolutely agree with that. I, I think when you ask most people um, who are older and say, do you feel like your life was one long drawn out experience or do you feel like it just went by like that? Can you just like remember 
when you were in as a teenager or in your 20s or 30s or 40s, just like it was almost yesterday. And I think most people who are older would feel like they cannot believe how fast their life has gone by. And it's very true what James is saying. We need to remember that um, we don't have really that much time here on earth. And the older you get, the more you realize that. The second person that I know died, um, I actually was on CNN one day on their website, and I saw his face on the front page of CNN. And this guy used to go to uh, a church I used to pastor in downtown Long Beach. Um, He was an actor, and he appeared in some blockbuster movies a few years ago. And he died of a drug overdose is what I hear. Um, And he was about 30 years old. And him and and the woman that he was seeing, who he had his first kid with, um, were going to our church for a little while. And I think if you were to talk to him and say, um, do you realize that you're only going to be here on this earth for 30 years, and then you're going to suddenly disappear unexpectedly? He would have been shocked. Um, And I hope he had made his peace with the Lord. A third person uh, was a woman that used to go to our church, again, in downtown Long Beach. And I just found out about three weeks ago that she passed away. Um, she had walked into the doors of our church, very broken woman, had a background in prostitution, um, had had many abortions. And, uh, you know, our, our community embraced her. We loved her. We tried to minister to her as best as she could. Um, and uh, she was with our church for a few years, and then she left. And I actually ran into her uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago at Whole Foods in Long Beach, and she was married uh, by then, and uh, I had heard that she had gotten a divorce from her husband, and then uh, sometime after that she committed suicide. And it just reminded me that uh, she must have lived just a, a broken and, and uh, very difficult life, and she must have looked at her life like the mist. There wasn't really that much substance to it. And so um, why not just vanish physically? And it's just really tragic. I wish I could have talked to her before she made that decision. And uh, lastly, a childhood friend of mine uh, who used to just live down the street from where I grew up in La Palma, uh, California. Uh, He moved away when we were, uh, you know, young teenagers. And I, I haven't really hung out with him for about 30 years, but we're Facebook friends. And he contacted me and he said, hey, you know, um, my father's on hospice right now. I'm wondering, I'm not really religious. He's not really religious. I know you're a pastor. Would you be willing to do the funeral when he passes away? And I said, absolutely. And he called me at night. And or I actually called him back uh, because we were playing uh, phone tag. And uh, I said, you know, is he there right now? Can I talk to him? Can I pray for him? And he said, yeah, he, he's here right now. I said, you know, oh, maybe I, I don't want to disturb him. It seems like he was saying he's kind of half asleep. And so I said, why don't I call you in the morning? Uh, we'll, we'll talk at 9 or 10 in the morning. I would just want you to put the phone up next to his ear. And my plan was, uh, my intention was to pray for him over the phone and to share the gospel with him the very next morning. Well, I got a text uh, that morning, this is just about a week ago, and my friend said that his father had passed away that very night. And when I heard that, uh, the first thought that came to my mind was, I, I failed. Now, I, what I should have done is I should have asked my friend to put up the phone next to his father's ear, and maybe even if he's half asleep, he could have heard, he could have understood. I could have prayed for him, and I could have shared with him the gospel. Maybe even at this just this very basic level that maybe we can't even understand, but he could maybe respond to the Lord 
It could have changed his eternity. And I waited. I waited for 10 hours, and then he passed away. But then as I thought about it, I realized, no, it's really not about me. And I thought about my friend who lost his father, but it's really not even about him at this moment. It's about his father who perished without Christ. And just um, this sense of um, despair and emptiness came over me for a few moments as I thought about um, his father facing the judgment of God in eternity without Christ in him. And so I've been asked to do the funeral in a couple weeks, and I, I made up my mind that um, I was going to share with the family, you know, I'm a Christian pastor, so um, I, I would like to ask that I can share the gospel at the funeral. And uh, assuming the family says yes, which I'm going to kind of really push for, that um, I'm going to share, and I'm going to give a gospel invitation at the funeral. And so, um, but I need to recognize that people's lives are here, and then they're gone. And sometimes it's just, they vanish suddenly, and you never know when that is. So we need to live with a sense of urgency. Are you living with a sense of urgency, church? Are you living with a sense that um, you don't know what tomorrow will bring? You don't know how long you're going to be here. And you don't know who the, your loved ones, how long they'll be here. So why not just go all out for the Lord? As we uh, move on in our passage in verse 15, uh, the Apostle James makes a statement where he talks about how God's will is uh, for us to move forward into the future with him. God wants us to seek his will as we move forward into the future. He says in verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. Instead of being like the merchants in verse 13, he said, we'll do this and that. We'll go here and there um, on our own. Instead, we should seek out the Lord's will and say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we'll, we will do that. And I love this because, um, you know, James is reminding us that the Lord's will is to be sought out through movement. He says, do this and do that um, as you seek the Lord's will out, as you seek the Lord's will, as you intend to move forward in doing this and that. He didn't say as you tend to seek the Lord's will out as you sit, wait, and just contemplate. And there's a place for being, you know, pausing and contemplating. But I tend to think that God wants us to be movement-oriented as Christians. And, um, and we sometimes better discover the will of the Lord through that. See, not everyone is interested in moving to the Lord's will. Not everyone is interested in moving forward after they sought the Lord's will. You're going to meet many people in life um, who are just in constant motion, but they're not really going anywhere. And you're going to meet people who um, are moving with the crowd of the world, and there's a certain momentum to their life, but it's not really the momentum of the will of the Lord. See, you're going to meet people who are in constant motion in life. There's, there's kind of a, a transient feel to them, a transient feel to their relationships, a transient feel to um, their commitment to their religion. And they're running to go somewhere, but in the end, they end up going nowhere. And they're like the man in James, uh, the, that the Apostle James talked about in James chapter 1. He said there are certain people that are double-minded, that are unstable in all of their ways. They're, they're in constant motion, but they're not really moving with God. And you're also going to meet people who are moving forward with great velocity, great momentum, but it's the momentum of the crowd of the world um, in ungodly be beliefs and behaviors. And these people, they're going somewhere with everyone else, 
except for God. And uh, the Apostle James said that there's a real danger to following, uh, following the FOMO crowd of the world. He called it in James chapter 4, an adulterous friendship with the world. Uh, when you follow the spiritual beliefs and behaviors of the world, uh, that's an adulterous friendship with the world that's actually hatred towards God. Um, you know, as we think about God's will, um, I think the older and the more mature you get, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to see really the wisdom of what James is saying here. The importance of what he's saying is, if the Lord wills, we will do this and we will do that. I think when you're younger, um, sometimes it's harder to grasp the importance of what James is saying here, that to seek the Lord's will out before you do this and that. Because um, I I think it's harder when you're younger because uh, you haven't been burned enough by the wickedness of the world to realize the importance of seeking the Lord's will out before you do this and that. And sometimes when you're younger, you haven't had that storehouse of experiences of being burned by the world and following the ways of the world and realizing that that doesn't really lead anywhere. Uh, You haven't had enough experiences maybe fully grasping the implications of the works of the flesh in your own life um, apart from the will of God. Uh, Maybe you haven't really um, had enough fear, the fear of God in you uh, maybe we haven't really understood um, the nature, the true sinister nature of the enemy and his destructive plans for your life. Um, and I think when we're younger, the idea of seeking the Lord's will out before we do this and that um, hasn't really taken on the gravitas that it really should in the lives of older and more mature Christians who have had experiences where they've strayed away from the will of the Lord and been burned by the beliefs and behaviors of the world, who have had a number of experiences they reflect on, and they look at their own fleshly decisions apart from the will of God, and they see the consequences of reaping what you sow in the ways of the world. And they, they've come to understand in a better way, uh, like the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2, that um, the older you get, the more mature you get, you understand the ways of the enemy and the world. And uh, it's kind of like Solomon, you know, in the Old Testament. When he was younger, he was in love. He wrote the book of uh, Song of Songs. And then when he got a little bit older, he's like the wisest person on the planet. He wrote much of the book of Proverbs. Um, and then he kind of strayed away from the Lord's will. You know, he indulged in wine and women and the worldly wisdom and the wealth and, and, wealth and uh, all the worldly pleasures of the world. And uh, he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. And he ended up saying, as I've tried to shape my future and control my future and pursue my future outside of the will of the Lord. He said it was all futile. It was all meaningless. And he said in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, um, all has been heard. I've seen all the evidence of what living life is like outside the Lord. And the conclusion of life is this, he says, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And um, I think that's a really good reminder from Solomon. In some ways, the coronavirus has um, it's made it easier to pursue the will of the Lord, but it's also made it harder to pursue the will of the Lord. It's made it easier because uh, we're dealing with a life and death event that's global. It has everyone's attention. There's not a day that goes by that we don't read the news that's related to this in some way, or we don't think about it, or we don't think about how it's implicated all of our lives. I think every, almost everyone on the planet maybe with the exception of um, someone in Antarctica and the far reaches of there. 
um, is really engrossed in this topic. And I think in that way, it's made it easier for us to seek out the will of the Lord because we're now thinking about issues of life and death. We're thinking about how much of life is out of our control. But in some ways, it's made it harder to seek out the will of the Lord during this time because in the coronavirus, we hear so much news and we're kind of conditioned to think about how um, the answer, our salvation, uh, uh, the solution to going back to life as we want it really lies in the hands of those in government, really lies in the hands of those um, pharmaceutical companies or uh, that are trying to find a cure, really lies in the hands of people who are controlling the stock market. And uh, if, if everyone can, or, or businesses, and, and uh, if everyone can just get their act together and everything will be fine and man will just be saved. And so do we really need the will of the Lord when so much of our salvation we're thinking comes from the world right now? And what we want to take away from this passage when James says, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that, is God is not primarily here to bless your plans for the future. If you want to say you want to do this and do that, um, now God bless it. May it be in your will uh, because I'm just going to go do this. Um, God is not primarily interested in blessing your plans um, or seeing even seeing your plans succeed for the future. Um, what God is primarily interested in is that you seek his will, that you trust in his will, that you're going to commit to doing his will either before you make those plans or amidst those plans. See, even if you make plans for the future and you're going the wrong direction, if you're seeking God's will out, he can always redirect you towards him and the way of life and the way of blessing. But if you make plans in your life, whether it's your finances or who you want to marry or uh, some kind of relationship that you're having with a friendship or your job or um, your health or whatever that might be, if you make plans and try and execute those plans aside from the will of the Lord, um, you may actually succeed in those plans, but you may succeed in an amazing way that is wrong. You may succeed at actually doing the wrong thing with your life. And we have known too many people who are massive uh, in their success in life, but really failures in terms of the kingdom of God because they pursued doing this and that outside of the will of the Lord. In verse 16, James says um, that boasting about tomorrow, it, it really should not be of our own individual plans. It should be boasting of the future of the Lord. Um, He actually says in verse 16, as it is, you boast in all your arrogance. And the boasting he's talking about is the boasting of the merchants in verse 13, that we're going to do this and that apart from the will of the Lord. He calls that actually evil. Um, You know, there's a real um, trend in the church here in the 21st century that uh, if you listen to some of the language of church leaders today, they talk about the future in the same ways that the world talks about the future. And maybe that's just because, you know, we're in a new millennium, right? We're 20 years into the 21st century. Not everyone gets to see uh, the turning of a century, but we have. And uh, I think that there's a certain excitement to um, the future when a century changes. Um, and when you listen to some people within the church, they talk about the future in this way, which is very similar to the world. They say, we, the church, we will create the future. We, the church, we will 
um, usher in the future. We, the church, we will even predict the future. And that kind of language, it's, it, it's, it's very empowering. It's very um, thrilling. It's very intoxicating. But um, James would call that actually boastful and arrogant. Yeah, because when you look in the Bible, um, God's people don't actually create the future. They don't actually usher in the future. They don't actually, certainly not predict the future. Um, what the Bible actually talks about in terms of the future, um, that is the next step from verse 16, is that uh, we shouldn't really boast about our individual plans, but um, the implication being we should boast in the Lord and the future that he has for us. And the Bible primarily talks about the future in two ways. Um, number one, if we're going to trust in something related to the future, if we're going to boast about it, that uh, we should trust in our eternal future in Christ that he has for us. That's what Peter talked about, another um, apostle that talked to the, uh, wrote to the dispersion Christians. And he said in 1 Peter 1 that we should, number one, trust in our eternal future in Christ. We, should, um, we have an inheritance, he says, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. And that we who are faithful, who come through these grievous trials that test our faith, will receive praise, he says, and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. So if we're going to boast in something, let it not be our plans for the future. Let it be we're going to boast in the future that the Lord has for us in heaven and in eternity. And number two, if we're going to talk or boast about the future, Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3 that um, we should be um, looking at the future and uh, boasting about um, our holiness or our godliness, um, our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and our growth in that, our peace with him, that we should uh, pursue that. We should take confidence in that because he says in Second Peter chapter 3 that God is going to judge the world and he's going to judge the world. He's going to remake the world and he's going to uh, judge all those um, who have lived without Christ and they're going to face God's judgment. It's not going to turn out well for them. And so that should move us to holiness, he talks about. And so when we think about the future, we shouldn't be boasting primarily about our plans to other people. We should be boasting about the future we have in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be um, looking at how the Lord is going to judge the earth, and that should move us to living holy and godly lives and transform lives through him. And we should take our confidence in that. And finally, for today, in verse 17, Peter says um, that God's will for the future is lived out by doing what is right in the present. He says in verse 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Um, And I I think that's a very interesting way to kind of end this passage about the future. It's not talking so much about what's going to happen in the future, but actually talking about what's happening in the present. That James says in verse 13 through 17 of chapter 4 that we should seek the Lord's will out as we are making plans because we don't know how long we're going to be around. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And it's if the Lord wills. We're going to seek the Lord's out, will out before, during, and after our plans. But then he ends this, interestingly, in verse 17 by saying, whoever knows what to do in the present, what to do what is right in the present but doesn't do it, it's sin. And I think one of the reasons why James talks about the present in the passage that's really about the future is because he realizes that discovering God's will for the future 
is connected to our present commitment to doing what is right in the present. Um, I had a pastor friend uh, call me a couple weeks ago, and he, uh, uh, I've known this guy for a long time, I really like him, and he said, um, I need some advice, because there was uh, another pastor that we know that was um, doing some things or teaching some things that um, he felt was really not um, in line with the Bible, and I actually agreed with him, I've noticed this for quite some time. And um, he said, you know, I, I just, he called me up, he's, I need your advice. Um, I, I want to talk to this other pastor, but I just, he said, I don't know if I'm going to make a difference. I don't know if I'm out of line, but I've been thinking about this for a long time, a few years. What do you think I should do? And I said to him, you know, um, number one, I, I confirm what you're saying, because I've noticed it too. Um, and number two, um, I think you should say something. Because it's a matter of conscience, and that's a right thing to do. And you have to recognize that this might be a test from the Lord. And you're going to face the judgment seat of Christ one day, where he's going, you're going to fall into judgment uh, for this moment, whether you were faithful with it or not, and re- receive reward or suffer loss for the lost opportunity. And um, I-, I think you just need to commit to doing what you think is right and let the chips fall where they may. And actually, uh, he take, took great encouragement on that. Uh, he, I, I think, went forward to go do it. And as I was thinking about it, I said, you know what, I, I really need to do the same thing. Um, and so I, I kind of sent uh, this pastor a message as well, just um, expressing my concern. And this is what James is talking about. He's saying, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it for him, it is sin. And w- one of the messages that James wants to leave us with is we want to know the future in black and white colors. And we're getting this chaotic uh, swirl of choices, an array of choices. And it's really impossible to know the future, um, at least in terms of the day-to-day, week-to-week future. But we can know the present. We can know the good that we need to do today. And we can't ignore that. James says that is sin. And so I think what God does is, and part of the reason why James connects the future to the present in this passage is that um, to see God's will in the future um, is connected to how faithful we are in the present and doing good in the present. And as we continue to do the Lord's work in the present, as we continue to do good in the present, I think the Lord looks at that And he says, you know, you're being faithful with little things. I can entrust you with more. And I'm going to give you greater wisdom into my kingdom, greater wisdom into the mind of Christ. And I'm going to give you grace and mercy and empower you and uh, lift you up because you are doing my will and you're showing faithfulness in the present and not just always looking towards the future. And so I just want to conclude... um, Again, by resummarizing verse 15 and 17, a verse we looked at a few moments ago and, and just now, James is saying to us if, that we should live our lives by saying, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In this unknown and uncertain future that we're facing. 
you have a choice. You're not going to be able to create the future or predict the future or usher in the future. Um, you're going to recognize that you're going to make some bad and wrong decisions about the future like we all are. We're all fallen human beings to a degree. But we are to be focused not primarily on what the future of the stock market is, not primarily what the future of our job is, not what the future of um, the return of sports is or the future election is or uh, what the church might look like in its adjustments to the coronavirus or is there going to be a cure, is there going to be a second wave. We all understand those are weighty topics to one degree or another. But our primary focus of the future um, is really to be the future that is promised to us through Christ in all of eternity. Our primary focus of the future is really to understand that this world is passing away. And um, we are to live godly and holy lives right now, and we are to seek the Lord's will out. That is probably the single most important thing for you to be doing right now. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, um, the most important way that you can follow God's will as not asking him for wisdom on your daily activities is to say, Lord, your primary will for my life is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10, if you um, believe in your heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he died on a cross to defeat sin and death, and he has risen from the dead to defeat sin and death, which means he's alive today. If you believe in your heart, Paul said, and uh, that Jesus has been risen from the dead, and you are willing to confess with your mouth, which means that you believe, that you trust in, and that you want to follow in Jesus as your Lord and not just your Savior. Paul says you will be saved. Um, this is the will of God for your life. It's to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I pray you will do that um, on this very day. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we've already made the most important decision of our life to live in the will of the Lord. But as we move forward into the future, we need to make daily decisions to say, what is the right that God wants me to do today? And I, I believe God will bless that in your future. And we need to make a choice to say, am I trusting in the future that the world has for me and placing too much confidence and how the world is going to solve and shape the future? Or am I placing my faith and confidence in seeking the Lord's will out, committing my plans to the Lord, letting the Lord's will adjust my plans? And um, I think if you do that, you will be blessed. And we need to ask, which will we choose on this day? Mm -hmm.